It is good to be with all of you. Welcome to week two of our series that we're doing this month. And in February, we typically do a relationship series. And uh, this year is no different. We're doing a series this year. Obviously, we've called it Triggered. We're talking about uh, healthy relationships, not just marriage and dating, but all kinds of relationships. How many of you know if you're gonna, uh, if you're gonna have relationships God's way, it's going to need God's help in your life? And so uh, our hope this month is to help you with that and encourage you and talk about what it looks like to have biblical, godly relationships. So that being said, I wanna jump right in because I have a lot to say today and I don't wanna keep you too long. So my text verse is out of Colossians 3. I'm gonna ask you to stand with me, please, as we read God's word together. Colossians 3, verses 12 to 14. This is Paul's letter to the church. And it says this. It says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other. Everyone turn to your neighbor and say, bear with me. You have to bear with them. The Bible said it. And forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. It's a beautiful passage of scripture. My, uh, the title of my message today is The Cost of Relationship. Uh, pray with me, church. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for your presence in this place. And God, we ask that you would do the work that only you can do in our hearts, God. I pray today, Father, that there would be no distractions for any of us sitting in this room or watching online, that the distractions would be gone in Jesus' name. Whatever those thoughts might be in our mind, anything in our mind that would want to distract us, we pray against phones distracting us today, Lord, that we would just be able to focus in on what you have for us today, that our hearts would be opened, our eyes would be opened, and we would receive what you have today for our good and for your glory in the precious name of Jesus, and everyone said, amen. amen. God bless you, you can be seated. All right, so we prayed no phone distractions, so if you get distracted by your phone, you're in sin, okay? Uh, so we're in this relationship series, and you know, if I asked you if you wanted to have better relationships or you wanted to be better at it, and you wanted to have healthy relationships, if we were honest, pretty much every hand would go up, right? Because we all know the benefits and the pleasure of having good relationships in life. And we also know the tension and the challenges when we have struggles in relationship. And we all know that in relationships, there's always going to be struggles because relationship involves at least more than one more person than you. To be in a relationship means there has to be another party involved. And so when there's more than one party involved, there's all kinds of things at play that can cause tension or challenges or struggles in relationships, whether it's just somebody being moody whether it's trauma that's been introduced into the relationship or whether it's just seasons of life, whatever it is, it's easy for things to come in to cause tension or, or bring challenges into our relationships. And we all really want to have good relationships in life. The question is, are we willing to count the cost? Are we willing to pay the cost that it takes to have good relationships? And does it really matter? I mentioned last week that you know, the, the idea of relationships, it's God's idea, of course, because he put us on this earth. He said that it's not good for man to be alone, so we should be in relationship. And the relationships have a two-fold purpose in our life, two major full purpose in our life. One is for pleasure and for enjoyment. Everybody knows a good relationship can bring joy into your life, but it's also for the kingdom of God. It's about furthering God's kingdom. It's about his kingdom coming alive in you and through you into the relationships of others and through them into their relationship with you to 
to encourage us and to advance the kingdom of God in our lives and through us. So there's obviously uh, a kingdom aspect to it, which means we should want it in our life. But it is also about pleasure too. Pleasure, the relationships bring lots and lots of joy. In fact, last week my text verse was out of Ecclesiastes chapter four, and it, it tells the story of this, of a man that, that lived his life for wealth. And he did a good job of it. He became very, very wealthy. But he says in, this, in the passage, it says, why have I deprived myself of this pleasure? He's talking about relationship because he's all alone. And he's deprived himself of the joy and the pleasure that comes from relationship because he was just focused on his wealth and making money. Because relationships bring pleasure into our life. And we like the idea of that side of it when there's not as much tension and when there is joy in relationships because of, because of companionship, because of friendship, because of intimacy, and because of adventure. You know, when you, when you have an adventure in life, it's not nearly as fun if you do it alone. I don't see many people going on cruises all by themselves uh, unless they're just fed up with all their relationships. But for the most part, if you do something fun, you wanna do it with others to enjoy that with them. But for them to be healthy and to enjoy the health of relationship consistently it definitely comes as a cost, at a cost. And we know that everything in life worth having has a cost attached to it, right? Everything nice and good in life, there's a cost, there's a price to pay to have it. If you want a nice house, you want a nice car, if you want something that's going to be nice and not just average or below average or, or not good in your life, you know there's gonna be a cost. If I want a nice house, I have to not spend my money on a bunch of frivolous things, I have to save it so that I can have this nice thing. Anything good, that's, that's nice in life and has a lot of value is going to have cost to it. Relationships are no different. If we're going to have good relationships in life, it is going to cost us something. And we don't mind the cost of some things in life because we understand the necessity of it, but so oftentimes relationships, we can be quick to let them suffer and just to kind of get by and be like the guy in Ecclesiastes who lived his life for some other purpose and found himself alone and realized he, he uh, deprived himself of a lot of pleasure that God has for us in life. And Paul is showing us, the Apostle Paul is showing us in my text verse, the cost to have healthy relationships. These traits that he's giving us in this passage are all about relationship. It's about you relating to other people. This isn't, he's not telling you to be compassionate towards God. God doesn't need our compassion. These are things that we are to have in relationship with each other. He says to clothe yourself, to put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness, and love that brings unity. And we would all agree, probably, that most of these things don't come naturally. Most of them take work. There might be one or two in here that you think, yeah, it's pretty easy for me to act that way, but maybe you're naturally pretty compassionate towards people. You can, you can cry with people pretty easily. Maybe you have some compassion, but for the most part, most of these things are going to take a lot of work. It's gonna take work to be able to grow in these things. Now, if you're if you're having a really good day and you're feeling really good, they're probably a little easier than others. But how many of you know not every day is a good day when it comes to the circumstances in our life, the feelings we're dealing with? You know, if you just came out of your, your boss's office and he just gave you a raise and you run into that really annoying coworker, chances are you're gonna be able to be kind and gentle and forgiving and put up with their annoying whatever it is in your life, you know, if things are going well. But if things are not going well, the first things to go in our life are compassion, Kindness, gentleness, humility, forgiveness, love, those things are quick to go away when things are not going as well as they could be going on other days in your life. And it requires for us to have 
these things in our life, Paul kind of wraps it all up by saying that love is what binds them all together. It's what brings them all together. And if you know anything about the word love in the Bible, it, it, it comes from the Greek, but the Greek actually has four words for love. English only has one. Obviously, our word is love. In the Greek, there's four different ones. There's a different word for love that refers to family, to friends, to romantic love, and then to the sacrificial, unconditional, not expecting anything in return love, which is agape, which most of us know that term. That love is the word that's used in this passage, that it is about sacrificial love. It is about a surrendering type of love. It is about an unconditional love that we would have for others. And that is what binds all those things together, all that gentleness and kindness and compassion that God's looking for in our life. It all, it all goes around this love that he calls us to have. So is it a pipe dream to be able to exemplify these traits in our life? If you do it on your own, it is. But that's the beauty of our faith. The foundation of our faith, church, is not built on whether or not we're able to do things, right? We all know we're not able to save ourselves. No one in here would probably say that I'm saving myself. We know that to be, to be saved, it is all about your faith in Jesus. That's what saves us. And you know what's gonna help you live out these traits that we see in Colossians here? Your faith in Jesus. It's foundational. Every aspect of your faith is foundational in understanding and knowing and living out the fact that I can't do anything on my own. The only reason I can even be compassionate, biblically speaking, the only reason I can love others sacrificially and unconditionally is because of the Spirit of God in me, empowering me to live out what he has called me to live in my life. He commands us to do it, but then he doesn't just say, now I've told you to do it, now go do it. He commands us, but then he says, oh, by the way, I'm gonna go with you and I'm gonna be in you and I'm gonna give you the power to be able to do it if and only if we will give ourselves to him. Salvation starts by saying, I need you, Jesus. I'm a sinner, I know I need a savior in my life. I repent of my sins, I give myself to you. Come into my life. Salvation happens in that moment but walking that salvation out in our life is a continual dying to yourself. It is a continual laying yourself down. It is a continual saying to yourself and to your God, I cannot do it. I cannot do it. That is a great prayer to pray every single day, church. Every day, and multiple times in a day. Josh said his dad would quote that, that verse every day, that this is the day the Lord has made, I will rejoice and be glad in it. That's a beautiful verse to quote multiple times a day. I would follow it up by saying, oh, by the way, God, I can't be glad on my own. I need your help. The Spirit of God is in us to empower us as we submit ourselves to him. Because he is a gentleman, he will not overpower us. It's about us living with his power in us. Paul is showing us, tells us that help is coming. The way we live this life, the way we love, the way God wants us to love is through the fruit of the Spirit. You, you know the, if you know the Bible, you know in Galatians 5, Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. I don't think I missed one. Nine of them. And if you notice, the fruit of the Spirit is literally the outworking of the Spirit of God in us. The fruit of the Spirit is not like, oh, I'm saved, so now I gotta have love, joy, peace, patience. I gotta make sure I do all these things. It's, oh, now I'm saved, I have the Spirit of God producing his fruit in me and through me. And if you notice in Colossians, he's got some of the same words. He's got love, patience, kindness, and gentleness are all the exact same word that's in Galatians chapter five, where he talks about the fruit of the spirit. So he's telling us right here, hey, the, the, the way you're gonna do this 
is by letting the Spirit of God live in you and through you. That's the only way it's going to happen. Don't leave here today and gritting your teeth and saying, yeah, I'm going to be better. I'm going to be better at relationships. I'm just going to do it. I'm going to figure it out. Nope. You need to say, I'm not going to be any better at all without the help of my God. And he will live through you, empower you to do it. Praise God. Now, when I prepare a message, typically, and I think most preachers probably do this, there's, there's a couple of objectives. One of them is to identify attention. And then the other one is to give the tools to win through the word of God. So the tension we're identifying today is healthy relationships. Godly, Christ-centered relationships in our life. That's the tension. Because we know that relationships God's way are not easy. Relationships my way are a little easier because I can just be selfish. It might not work out all the time, but at least it's just kind of my default, my nature. But doing relationships God's way is a tension. It's a challenge. And we have to want it. We have to recognize the need for it and want it in our life. And that's my prayer today is that this tension is something that you would actually want in your life, that you wouldn't want to just live selfishly doing your own thing. And you may say here, well, you know, I'm just not really that selfish. <laughs> if you don't think you're selfish, get married. And if you're married and you still don't think you're selfish, have a kid. You find out how selfish you are real quick. It's amazing how many times I disappeared when the diapers needed changed. That's how we are, right? We're selfish. We want what we want. And it really, it's really amplified when other people are brought into the situation. I can, I can convince myself I'm not selfish if I'm alone in my room. But if I'm with people, the selfishness will come out and show its, rear its ugly head. And the fact is that most of the trials we, fit, we, we run into in life are, be, are byproducts of relationship. Most of our trials are byproducts of relationship, whether there's a hurt in the relationship or if there's some trauma, there's some loss, it's all about relationships. So we have to understand how to have Christ-centered relationships so that we can win at this tension in life. Because that's God's plan for us, because there is joy, there's pleasure in relationship. And so once we identify the tension, then, we, then my goal is to empower you with tools to win. Tools from scripture, tools from experience that help us to win at this tension in our life. And to, to be able to have the tools and use them in relationship, we have to be willing to count the cost for godly relationships. If you're sitting here today and you think, you know, my, my relationships will be fine, they're, I love Jesus, and so they're gonna be godly, and you're just gonna assume that it's gonna work out, you're gonna miss it because none of us in our default approach relationships the way God wants us to. We're all gonna approach it on our own, on our own in our own way and with our own uh, goals and pleasure in mind. So what we need to do is we need to look to the word to show us what we can do. And one of the most practical books of the Bible is James. If you've never read James, I encourage you to read it. I talk about it a good bit because I love it because I'm pretty practical too. And he just, he just cuts to the chase and talks to us about what it looks like to live out this life that God has given us. And so I wanna read for you out of James chapter one, starting in verse 22. Let's look at this in the light of relationships, okay? He says, don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. Some versions say that you are deceiving yourself. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in the mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says, there he has it again, and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. 
Now, I'm gonna ask you guys to leave that verse up there for a minute if you don't mind, because I, I, want, I want you guys to be able to see it. I wanna reference it. This, is, this verse is so good in light of relationships. He says here, James says, if you think that just listening to God's word is going to be enough and not doing his word, you have deceived yourself. You are fooling yourself. You are your own worst enemy in this scenario. Now, when he says, don't just listen to God's word, when he's talking about listening to God's word, it's, it's, it's preaching, it's reading your Bible, it's, it's about receiving God's word. If you, are, if you are receiving God's word, that is a beautiful thing. You're receiving God's word today, sitting here, hearing the word of God being spoken. So you're receiving his, the word. You're receiving the word when you read your Bible. You're receiving the word when you listen to a, a preaching a podcast or, or other things on media. When you receive the word, it's a good thing. But James is saying here, if you think that just receiving it and not doing it is enough, you are fooling yourself. It's not just about taking it in. It's not just about knowing it. It's not just about our head knowledge. It's also just as important that we do it, that we live out the word that has been spoken. Because here's the thing, church, the word of God is transformative in our life, right? God's word transforms us. There's no doubt about it. But receiving his word is only the gateway to the transformation. The transformation happens as you live it out. If you are just receiving it, you're not being transformed. The transformation comes as we apply it to our life and live it out in our life. That's where transformation happens. That's where it's evident, and that's where it makes a difference in your life and the lives of the people you're in relationship with. And that's God's plan for you, is that you would be transformed, not just by hearing it, but also by doing it. It's the difference between being a student of the word and a disciple of the word, okay? A, a student of the word, the whole idea of a student is to just receive information. If you're in school, if you're in college, if you're just, if you're a student, your goal is to receive it and learn it. And the only real outworking of it as a student is to maybe take a test and try to get a good grade. But a student is about receiving. And it, but a disciple is about being and doing. And we are not called to just be students of the word. We are called to be disciples of the word. We are to put what we have learned in action. That is what God wants for every single one of us. And we, I think if I can explain it a little bit, you, I think you probably would agree that there are plenty of people that are students of the word that are not transformed. That have tons of head knowledge of the word. That, that, that read their Bible, that, that come to church and listen to preaching. And they, they, can, they can quote the scriptures and they can out argue you about scripture and spiritual things all day long. But they don't really have a lot of people that want to be in a relationship with them because they're mean, arrogant, combative. You see it on social media, you see it all over the place. God forbid that we would learn things, we would be students of the word so that we can win spiritual arguments. God forbid it, because that's only part of the battle. In fact, you're doing more harm than good if you're only taking it in and receiving it. In fact, Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 8, I think it is, 8.1, he says, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Just being a student of the word puffs us up. But love will build us up and it will build up those around us. In fact, Paul goes on later in that same chapter, in chapter eight, to say that your knowledge can actually destroy your weaker brother if it is done without love. Think about that, church. Your knowledge 
of the scripture, your knowledge of the word of God, your knowledge of the character of God can actually be destructive in relationships if it is not done with love. If you are not being a disciple more than you're just being a student in your life. The posture of transformation in your life is one of a disciple, not a student. You want transformation? Some of you would say, man, I, I feel like I'm faithful. I go to church, I read my Bible, and I still have struggles in relationships all the time. It might be because you're more of a student than a disciple. James says, don't just hear it. Do not just hear it. Whatever you do, don't just hear it. Do it. Otherwise, you're deceiving yourself. And that is some powerful stuff that we get from James in that passage. And then he says, look carefully into the law that sets you free and do what it says. Look carefully into the law that sets you free and do what it says. The freedom that Christ came to give us is so beautiful and so powerful. He says, look into that freedom. And basically he's saying, look into it and then do it. Live out the freedom that he's given you in your life. And he says, and God will bless you for it. And so many people wanna know what that means when God blesses you, right? What does that mean? Does that mean I'm gonna, he's gonna answer all my prayers and I'm, no one's ever gonna get sick in my family and, and I'm always gonna have a good job and make more money than I really deserve? Is that what God's blessing looks like? It might sometimes, but I, I believe more in this passage when he's talking about God will bless you is that you're actually gonna be able to walk in that freedom. That's the biggest blessing you could ever have is the freedom that Christ gives each and every one of us. That's what we should be looking for in our life. So today, as I finish up this message, I wanna give you uh, three triggers because I, I, this series is called Triggers and there's, there's triggers that I think keep us from really pursuing those healthy relationships in our life, from really uh, where we can kind of just give up because of things that have happened, things that trigger us and keep us from doing that. So I'm gonna look at the life of Joseph. And if you don't know Joseph's story, he's all the way back at the beginning of the Bible, he's in Genesis. He was one of the youngest children of Israel and he had 11 brothers and they were jealous of him and didn't like him. So they, they thought about killing him, but said they sold him into slavery. And he gets unjustly put in, a, in the house of a man named Potiphar who, who bought him as a slave. And he was a slave in Potiphar's house. And uh, you know, Joseph's story is not usually used to speak about relationships, but man, when I was looking at this, I just saw so many ways that he responded in ways in relationship that is, we could take so much from it and learn from it because he went through a lot more than you or I probably ever will go through. And, uh, and so we're gonna, we're gonna look at him as we go through these triggers. And the first one is limitation. Limitation can trigger us in relationship. Healthy relationships are built on limitations, not indulging in every whim, every feeling, every emotion we have in relationships. Healthy relationships are about limitations. And that's why oftentimes we reject healthy relationships because we don't like limitations. We as people don't like to be put, to have limits put on us. We might put some on ourselves, but we don't like other people telling us we can't do something, right? I mean, if you have children, you know that. It, it's, it's innate in every single one of us. And it, it's in us as adults too. We don't like to be told that there's a speed limit on the road. You know how I know that? Because every time you're driving down the road with a bunch of cars and there's a cop that's spotted over a hill, what happens? Brake lights, everywhere. Everybody hits the brake lights because everybody's assuming I'm probably pushing the limit because that's just what we do. We, push, we like to push the limit in spending. We like to spend more than we make. You know how I know that? Because statistically, the credit card debt per family in the United States is through the roof. So we like to push the limits. We don't like be having limits put on us. It's just in our nature. 
And so why would we want them in relationships? We don't, we wanna be able to do what we wanna do. We wanna, if it feels good, I wanna be able to do it. I wanna be able to be in the moment. And if, this is, if it feels good, great. If it doesn't feel good, I'll just move on. We don't like the limits. And so the fact that, that there are limits in life can frustrate us. But I can tell you today, God puts limits in relationships. He puts limits in relationships. In fact, the freedom he gives us, that we have the freedom in Christ that we have is best lived within the confines of the limits he gives us. True freedom is about living within the limits. I am free to eat all the cheeseburgers, pizza, and ice cream I want. I make my own money. I don't live with my parents. Joy would, might try to say something, but I can just act like I don't hear her. I can eat whatever I want. But the freedom that comes from not having heart disease and diabetes and all the other things that come from that, the freedom that comes, from that, it, that comes in that, it comes from limitations. It comes from setting boundaries in my life around those things. So if I really want freedom, I'm living within limitations. And let me tell you something, church, limits, God didn't set limitations because of sin in the earth. He set limits long before there was sin. You go all the way back to the beginning of the book, he put Adam in the garden. He just made Adam, there was no sin in the world yet, it was just Adam. And he puts him in the garden, and look what he says to him, Genesis 2. It says, but the Lord warned him, you may freely eat of the fruit of every tree in the garden. He was free. He said, you are completely free to eat of every tree, except, everyone say except. Except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, if you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. Sin was nowhere in the world yet. Yet God already put limitations because limitations are good. But they are also difficult because we like to live right on the barrier. We like to go right up to the railing. The reason there's railing is because we like to get close to it. But God has put those limitations in place for our health and healthy relationships will have healthy limitations. It will have boundaries. It'll have parameters in it. And things like with, with sexual immorality, it's so much easier if you don't have any limits to fall into places where you know you end up being in bondage or even an emotional support. You know, it's so easy to become codependent in a relationship, in a friendship, or in a romantic relationship to become codependent because we don't set good limits in those relationships. And can I tell you, church, even if you are here and you're married today, you are not meant to be codependent with your spouse. You are not meant to be codependent where you depend on that person for every emotional support in your life. The person you are supposed to go to for your emotional support first is Jesus. Your spouse is a blessing and you are one in Christ, but that person is not supposed to be your everything. That is not a healthy relationship, even in marriage. We are not meant to be codependent. We are meant to have balance and boundaries and parameters and limitations in every relationship in this life. But man, is that tough. That is tough because the world would say, that's ridiculous. You do what feels good in the moment. You live for today. Stop following this weird ideology. The reality is, if you really want healthy relationships, this is where it comes from. And we look at it in the life of Joseph with Potiphar's wife. He's living in Potiphar's house. He did such a good job. Potiphar put him in charge of everything in the house. It even says Potiphar only concerned himself with what he ate. So Joseph was running the household, and here comes Potiphar's beautiful, lovely wife. And let's look what happens in Genesis 39. It says, after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. 
Everything he owns, has, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you. There's limitations again. That word except. Because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? That he predetermined that he was gonna set limits. He said, God, he said, my master has told me I can have a run of everything in the house except you. And so I predetermined I will not go there. If you're going to have healthy relationships living within the limits that God has for you, you're going to have to predetermine because we all know that if you get in a situation where passions and emotions are running high, it's too late. It's too late. Your brain, your emotions, your feelings do not care that you're a Christian if it's too late. You have to be able to set those limits and Joseph predetermined that he was not going to do this. You can look at that and say, ah, Potiphar's wife was just probably really unattractive. Nope, Potiphar was wealthy. His wife was a supermodel. She was really, really good looking. And so for him to resist this was not just like, he, it just wasn't hard for him. He had already set up the parameters. And I love what he said there. He said, how could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? He wasn't sinning against Potiphar. He was sinning against God. This is because Joseph wasn't just a student. He was a disciple. And if, you, if you're a disciple, you know that when we sin, we sin against God. You can hurt somebody. He could have hurt Potiphar, but the sin in the life is sinning against God. And he had already said, I'm, I've set up limits so that I do not sin against my God, because that's what mattered to him. All right, the next one is rejection. Rejection can be a trigger for us. If you're older than five, you've been rejected. We've all dealt with rejection. And because we've all dealt with rejection, we can, it can easily become a big fear in our life because we all know how much rejection hurts. We all know how it feels to feel like somebody didn't want you or didn't want to be in relationship with you. And for some, it could be something a little more on the trivial side, like a teacher or, or a friendship that wasn't, you weren't real close to, but it could be something where it was an absolute best friend. It could be a spouse. It could be a, uh, a parent, it could be a spiritual leader in your life. We've all experienced it, and so we're all aware of it. And if we live with a fear of rejection and put the safeguards in place that that fear causes, we'll never have healthy relationships. Because if you live with fear of rejection, you're gonna put one of those safeguards up, where you're either gonna say, you're not gonna let anybody get close enough, you just hold everybody at bay, you can, you can go ahead and reject me because I won't even know it because I've never shared anything with you. Or we could smother people because we fear that they're not gonna like us, so you do too much. You go overboard in every situation to make them, you know, because it makes you feel like, well, if I love them enough, they won't reject me, when in reality, you're, you may be pushing them away. Or we just get to where we just wanna control every relationship we're in. And if we sense that rejection might be coming, we're seeing the signs of it, we just do a preemptive strike. We reject them instead to protect ourselves. All, any of those, None of those are healthy relationships, not Christ-centered relationships. And the only way to really have healthy relationships in a world where rejection is guaranteed in life is to see God's heart for you in all of it and that his plan for you is good and that the fact that he will never reject you, it has to be enough. It has to be enough, church. I wish I could stand up here and tell you, you know what, if, you, if you're good enough, if you're, if you're spiritual enough, if you pray enough, if you're Christian enough, 
you'll never experience rejection again. Or if somebody rejects you, you won't even care because you just love Jesus so much. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. Nobody wants to be rejected, but we all experience it. And there's got to be a way to not allow the possibility of future rejection or even past rejections keep us from having healthy relationships in our life. We all have to deal with it. I was rejected as a child. I was rejected as a teenager. I've been rejected as an adult. I've been rejected as a pastor. You know, people have left this church when me and Joy took over. I know it's shocking that people wouldn't wanna be here, but, but it happens. And it, it I mean, to, to act like you don't, don't take any of it personally would be a lie, right? But you have, to, you have to purpose in your heart, I'm not gonna let the fact that somebody rejected me keep me from pursuing healthy relationships in my life because I'm letting the enemy win. I'm completely giving in to the plan of the enemy for my life if I allow those past or even present rejections to keep me from really allowing my life to matter for the glory of God. There's just no way around it. There's absolutely no way. And I can tell you, church, he is enough. He is enough. It's just like Josh was saying earlier. You know, when someone, when you lose someone in your life that passes away, it doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. To have the joy of the Lord in tough situations doesn't mean it's not hurtful. It doesn't mean it's not painful. It doesn't mean that you wish it hadn't happened. It just means you know that there is a higher purpose, that there is a God that loves you and he will never reject you. And that is enough in those situations. Joseph had the situation where he was completely rejected by his brothers. The very people that were supposed to protect him, watch over him, and love him rejected him and sold him in slavery because they didn't like him. But he got the last laugh because if you know the story, he, arose, he went from being a slave to being a prisoner to being the second in charge in the great country of Egypt. And there was a famine in the land, and then his brothers had to come back to him because they were hungry. There was no food, and, and Joseph had enough food for that whole part of the world. So they come crawling back to him. Let's read it in Genesis 50. It says, his brothers came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? A more evidence that he was a disciple, not a student. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. He is showing us here how to deal with rejection. And you might say, oh, well, that, that's not even fair though, because he obviously won. He was second, they came groveling back to him. They weren't repentant. They didn't have a change of heart and say, oh, we were so wrong to get rid of you, Joseph. We feel so badly, we just want you to forgive us. We want you to be our brother again. That's not why they came back. They came back because they were hungry. So he, he still was dealing with the rejection. They weren't unrejecting him by coming back. They were coming back to him because he had something they needed. So he was still dealing with the rejection of his brothers, yet it says that he spoke kindly to them and he reassured them. Can you do that? If someone rejects you and you happen to be in a conversation with them, can you speak kindly to them? Can you speak kindly about them? That's even more difficult. Can you speak kindly about them? Would you reassure them after they reject you, after they harm you, after they hurt you? You know, I, I watch uh, crime documentaries a lot. I've said it a number of times. I just, I enjoy watching it. Enjoy the justice, seeing, you know, finding out who did it and making sure they're getting the punishment that they're due. And um, 
even though I don't get the punishment I'm due, so I'm kind of a hypocrite. But, but I, I enjoy watching them, and the other day I was watching one, and this girl, college girl was, was brutally murdered by some random guy uh, at her off-campus off housing, and they ended up finding the guy, they prosecuted him, convicted him, and at the sentencing, the mom of the girl got to address him. And she sat on the stand and she looked him in the eye and she said, I just want you to know that I forgive you. And I've seen that a number of times. You see that where a parent or a loved one of someone gets to look the, the person in the eye and tell them they forgive them. And it's such a powerful thing when you see it. It's so powerful. And then she was talking to the interviewer later in the show and she was saying that, uh, she was saying she's a devout Christian and her faith drives her and that she knew she had to forgive him because if she didn't, she was just letting him have, have power over her. And, and I know that, I, we know because she's a Christian, we know really that she understands that even though there was hurt and pain there, that she, she was able to walk in that forgiveness because of the power of God in her life. Now she didn't say that on there because, she might have, but they would have edited it out anyway because of the TV show. But that's what the power of God in us, working in us and through us in relationships looks like. And I've even heard Christians that have said, when they see something like that, they say, oh, that's ridiculous. She doesn't have to forgive him. He took part of her family away. It was traumatic. It, it could have ruined their life. Who knows what they're dealing with in the aftermath? Let me tell you, if we don't reassure and speak kindly to those that hurt us, we are the ones in sin. We are the ones that are in error then. And we are, we are harming the plan of God more than if we were the offenders. That's why Joseph said, am I in the place of God? Am I in the place of God to judge you? No, he forgave them and he spoke kindly to them. And that's powerful, right in the face of rejection. Okay, and third and finally, unfairness. Now this is one I deal with because I like fairness. I'm, I'm pretty justice-minded. I, I like, that's why I like these crime dramas. I like to see fairness played out. I don't ever watch ones that are mysteries and you don't find out in the end who it was and making sure they get what's coming to them because that drives me crazy because I like to see fairness in my life. Many of you probably do too. And if I tell you, if I were to say that life isn't fair, you'd probably all give me a big amen because we've all experienced the unfairness of life. And if I say relationships aren't fair, you might even give me a bigger amen because we've all experienced unfairness in relationships where somebody has treated us unfairly and seemingly done fine for themselves moving on. When you see a, a father and a husband that abandons his family and leaves and goes on and lives his life apart from them and completely causes them to struggle and have to try to get through life and the, the, the father's seemingly having a good life. That's really unfair, right? We see that kind of stuff all the time. Unfairness is a normal thing in life. The older you get, the more you realize that life is absolutely not fair. And if we're gonna have healthy relationships, we have to count the cost of unfairness in our life and what that looks like and how we're going to respond to unfairness in our life like Joseph did. Are we gonna respond in such a way that's gonna honor God and promote Christ-centered healthy relationships or are we gonna respond the way the world would respond by wanting to get back at them and get the justice that you think you deserve in a situation? There is so much in life and in relationships that is not fair. Every day I see it, every day. Not, not just in my life, I see it in other people's lives. There's so many things that just don't seem to make sense in this world. But if our willingness to pursue godly relationships is based on whether or not something is fair, you're gonna end up a lonely, cynical, angry person in your life. We cannot allow unfairness to keep us from pursuing relationships in life. 
And the sign of a disciple in an unfair world is one that lives a life where they're trustworthy, they're faithful, and they're responsible even when things aren't fair. I love, that's why I love this story of Joseph because he shows us how to respond in situations, in relationships that are not fair. It was not fair that he was sold to Potiphar. He was, he was a child of privilege. He was not supposed to be a slave. It was not fair. And so he was trustworthy and faithful and responsible, so much so that Potiphar made him the head of his house and the thanks that he got for it was to be falsely accused and to be put in prison. And he goes into prison and he has a relationship with the warden in the prison. And even in prison, it was obvious that he continued to be trustworthy and faithful and responsible. In fact, in Genesis 39, 21, it says, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison and was made responsible for all that was done there. He was faithful, responsible, and trustworthy. And you know, we can easily think, and I can fall into this too, if I'm in the flesh, can easily think that the people that deserve that, or the people that I'm gonna be faithful to and trustworthy with and responsible are the ones that deserve it. That you have to earn that in life. You really don't. People don't have to earn that. We freely give it because of the Spirit of God in us. Giving us the ability to live above those things in life that can so easily hold us back. You know, it's interesting when you look at the story of Joseph, Potiphar, the warden, and Pharaoh, all three it says that they saw that uh, the favor of God was on Joseph, that he was blessed in what he did. It says that they saw that the Lord was with Joseph. How did they see that? I mean, it was, you know, it's easy to think maybe there was this beam of light coming down from heaven that just shined on Joseph. So they could see, oh, the Lord's really with that guy. You know how they saw the Lord was with him? Because they knew his situation wasn't fair, yet he was trustworthy, faithful, responsible. He went above and beyond, even in the midst of incredible unfairness, in the midst of incredible rejection, in the midst of incredible trauma in his life. He continued to live faithful, and it says that they saw that the Lord was with him. So for us in our life, can people see that the Lord is with us when we're dealing with limitations, rejections, unfairness? Can the people in our life see, yep, the Lord's with that person? That woman on that crime documentary I saw, I was like, yeah, the Lord's with her. No doubt about it. You could see it. Even when she talked, you could just see it coming out of her that she had the Spirit of God living in her and living through her. Can the Lord see that in you? Now, I would love to be able to stand up here and say, if you do that, if, you, if people continue to see the Lord living in you, you'll just skyrocket to fame and fortune and power just like Joseph did. But I can't say that because it's not necessarily true. Joseph's story is extraordinary for sure. But you know what? His story is just as worthy of being in our Bible if he never made it to second in charge in Egypt because of the fact that he showed us the principles of living as a disciple of Jesus, not just a student of the word. And that's God's desire for each and every one of us too. Praise God. Would you stand with me please as I pray for us? I wanna pray for, for all of us today. And I just encourage you to respond. You can come to the altar. You're welcome to come up here. It's open to come pray if you'd like. But I think all of us need to respond. You know, we encourage you every week to respond to the word of God. Let's not have any distractions for the next two minutes, okay? 
Let's respond to God's word. Whether it's just in your mind, in your heart, whether it's lifting your hands, kneeling, whatever it is, coming forward. But having Christ-centered relationships, church, it is a kingdom principle. And it has kingdom impact. And it has impact on your life. Maybe you've just been a student of the word. You haven't really been a doer. It's been a challenge for you to do. You just wanna, you just wanna read, you just wanna receive God's word. We are not called to be hoarders of God's word. We are meant to be conduit. We are vessels that it flows in and through. And if we're not doing that, we are deceiving ourselves. Or maybe you've dealt with rejection or unfairness, or you've pushed the limits in relationship because you just haven't really wanted to, to give in to that or succumb to that. We need to repent today. We need to tell God, give him our sin. He's so good and faithful and just. When we give him our sin, he takes it and he wipes it away and makes us clean. If that's you today, do that. You don't even wait for me to pray. You can pray yourself. We can all go into the throne room of God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we love you today. I thank you for your presence in this place. I thank you that you are moving and that you are powerful and that there is nothing that you cannot do with an open and contrite heart. I say it again, there is nothing you cannot do with a contrite heart. When we are repentant and we give ourselves to you and we surrender who we are to you, God, I know that you can do the work of transformation in our life. I thank you today, God, that you are the one that transforms, that your word in us and through us is what transforms us to be more like you. And Lord, that's our desire. That's our heart. We want our relationships to be more like you, that you would be the center of all of our relationships, even the ones that might seem insignificant, that you would be the center of them because Lord, I know that you will bring glory to yourself as people see that you are with us. Lord, we wanna be like Joseph, that people that see us would say, yes, I can see the Lord is with that person. God, that we would emulate the characteristics that we see in your word of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, that those things would be evident in our life. God, help us today. We give ourselves to you today, Jesus. Thank you that we can trust you, that you are fully trustworthy in our life. God, help us to live within the limitations that you've set up for us. And Lord, where we have pushed the limits, where we have gone outside the boundaries, Lord, I thank you that that is not the unforgivable sin, that we can come back and you receive us back. Lord, where we have been rejected, God, I pray against a fear of rejection over every person under the sound of my voice in Jesus' name, that we would not give in to the fear of rejection in relationships, but that we would walk boldly and knowing that we are not rejected, but we are accepted by you and that that is enough to keep us going in the midst of and in the, in the, uh, in the pressure that comes, Lord, in the, in the fear of rejection. And Lord, for unfairness, where we have harped on where life has been unfair for us, God, Lord, we wanna let that go today. Help us to let it go and give it to you, God. We know that things aren't gonna be fair. We know that sometimes in life things are not fair for us, but God, that is not gonna stop us from living our life for you. Help us, Lord, not to have to see fairness to be able to pursue you and to pursue godly relationships, but to trust you in the midst of all of those things, God. We love you, we thank you, and we bless you. In Jesus' name we pray, and everyone said, 
Amen. Praise God. Can we praise God one more time? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise God. Well, listen, I, just give me one more minute. If, you guys, if you're here today and you are not a Christian, you would not say you're a follower of Jesus, I'm so glad you're here. We're very glad you're here. We pray for you all the time. We always pray for people to come into this building on Sundays that don't know Jesus because we believe you can meet him because we all can. There's no great requirement other than just knowing you're not enough and receiving his forgiveness for your sins and living for him. And I would encourage you in that today. If you, if you wanna talk, if you want somebody to pray for you, we'll be right up front here after service. Love to talk to you about that and pray with you today.